So this is the last week that I will be preaching on the Psalms this year. For some of you, you're sad because um, you love the Psalms also. But there's more in the scripture than that, but gosh, I love, love preaching the Psalms. I love the schemes that they give us for speaking with God and to God about life as we actually experience it. The, the, in my opinion, the three schemes are, as Mike prayed about, orientation, reorientation, and disorientation. And the, like, I know that many of you have been attending the barn for a long time, so you know those are some of my favorite words. And for others of you are like, what does this have to do with my life? And I worry that when we talk about the Bible, we're always talking about studying it. And studying the scripture is essential to learn what God says about himself and what he tells us about us and what it means to live the with God life. But the Psalms are not first something to study, but an invitation to intimacy. God, the good Father, has always pursued a relational intimacy with his people. And the Psalms invite us into that. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone and you describe God some way and someone corrects you? You know, because we're thinking about our theological precision, which is important that we have theological conversations. But it's not the only thing that's important. In addition to theology, we need poetry to talk to God about what it's like to live here where things are not as they're supposed to be. To live here and to see injustice. To live here and more specifically to Psalm 28, experience sickness knowing that that's a violation of the good world that God created. I wonder if you said in a Bible study, if you began a prayer in a Bible study, to you, O Lord, I call my rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. I wonder if you'd be like, so God's never deaf. It's actually important that you understand that. He always hears your prayers. God's never silent. He's given us his word. And yet, here we have in the scriptures poetic engagement with God about life as we actually experience it. This is a psalm of reorientation, and the way I can tell that is the change in, in verb tense. So there are some times that a, a psalmist will write very challengingly about their life or about what they see around them in the nation of Israel or in their community, and it doesn't end with praise, or it ends with hopeful praise, but nothing has changed. In this, situa- in this psalm, much like in Psalm 30, I think the writer was going through physical illness and was healed, and the language changes to praise. And the psalms of reorientation are the psalms of the gospel. They're our psalm because of the existence of God and the work of Christ. But we do not always experience life that way, so we learn both to praise in our good seasons. A good season is maybe defined by more than a month where you're not physically ill or no one that you're close with has died, where you're, you have a good job. Maybe not the job you love, but a good job. That's actually a season of orientation. We learn to praise in that. Season of disorientation is one of those things is true. And all you can do is lament, which means whine aggressively to God about that. But Psalm 28 is a psalm of reorientation where 
the writer is healed and comes out of that healing better able to praise and to trust God. And this language is silly if the goal of religion is behavior. If you're checking the box and thinking, well, I do believe in God, so I'm going to go to church, then Psalm 28 is going to be very odd to you. And of course, morality matters. Anytime there is intimacy between a cre- the creator and a creature, there is a response of love to love. So what we do as a response to, lo- to love matters and is real. But I'm so aware that for many of us, Religion is something that is a box that we check, and it is not an intimacy we enjoy. And for those of us that it's a box that we check, this language is going to seem, at best, odd. And probably it's going to seem useless. And you're never going to go to the Psalms with anything other than, perhaps I should know this book for intellectual reasons. And you will be missing the invitation of intimacy. If you have your Bible, you could open it to the middle and turn left just a little if you got right to the middle to Psalm 28. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked with the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of his hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. The with God life involves us learning to say to God, be not deaf to me and leave the conversation about whether that's theologically accurate aside and do something far more spiritual, far more biblical, which is respond to God that it sometimes feels that way. Perhaps the most profound Christian book I've read in a long time, and in in my opinion, because, well, for a lot of reasons, movie Silence, I think, is one of the finest Christian movies ever made. And you know what it's about? It's pretty dark. The book is by Shusaku Endo. It's a, it's a historical fiction about the time that um, Japanese missionaries, or missionaries to Japan, were essentially eradicated and tortured. And it's a beautiful film, and one of the beauties of it are the three different men, all priests, wrestling with what they perceive to be God's silence, intellectually, and in prayer, 
and in conversation. But the with God life moves us from disorientation into refuge in life. But first, we have to talk about the disorientation. Even though this is not a psalm of disorientation, the first week and the third week of the series, I preached on the psalms of disorientation because you've experienced disorientation, because it's the most common form of psalm, aggressive whining. You see all the disorientation in verse 1 and 2? You. Do you say you in prayer to God? You allowed this to happen. Do you, do you pray that way? Because of this series, I remember too, especially on Saturdays before I'm going to preach on it, and I, I've told you this before, I get uncomfortable. It doesn't feel religious, and part of me wants to feel religious, and then I return to the text. And it's, don't be deaf. Don't be silent. Go down to the pit, I believe, is the writer saying, don't let me die. Hear my prayers. I lift up my hands. And the move back to... He, the, the, the move of reorientation, because of the pursuing love of God, if we're honest, is going to need some time in the disorientation. We do not praise in the midst of a season of pain and doubt and violation. Not without disorientation. And one of the things that is that I have to talk to you about, and you're not going to think it's cool, but you're going to maybe appreciate my honesty. Everyone experiences disorientation, and it's not balanced. Some of you are going to suffer more than others. And this is part of the reason that when we're in a season of disorientation, we wonder something along the lines of, doesn't everybody suffer? I think everyone suffers. But does everyone suffer equally? No way. I have the terrible honor of looking out into your faces and knowing many of your stories and being easily able to say that. But I also know it from the scriptures. Some experience more disorientation than others. And the reason I'm bringing it up is to point something out about the gospel. Because if everyone experiences disorientation, probably in this case physical illness, what if God doesn't exist and everyone suffers? What if Jesus did not incarnate and become flesh and everyone suffered? Suffers. Well, then, Al then Albert Camus is right. Do you have to read Camus in high school or college? I'm reading The Plague right now and it's so beautiful and it's so sad. I was talking about the myth of Sisyphus in the first service, and you're like, what, are we, what does this have to do with me and hope and prayer? Give me a second. And one of our uh, elders actually quoted the myth of Sisyphus in French after the service and then translated it to me because he's that intelligent. And I have the quote right. I, I quoted it one way, and then I got the quote right from him. Do you remember the story of Sisyphus? It's a Greek myth about a man who is... Uh, cursed to push a rock up a hill forever, and the rock comes back down. And what Camus writes is, the fight to get to the summit is the heart of a man. Therefore, we must imagine that he is happy in the struggle. You hear that? Do 
you understand how profoundly existentially dreadful that is? And yet, that, that's, that's disorientation without hope. And he's right. Unless God exists. Unless he incarnated in Jesus of Nazareth. Unless that Jesus predicted his own death and rose. And then we are called into new life when we call out mercy. Now the with God life moves us from disorientation where we cry out mercy and we're given mercy and yet there is the thread of judgment in this song. I know judgment is not a cool word. I know that sometimes when we read the Psalms they're so aggressive about enemies and about the injustice they see around them and we're uncomfortable. And yet the move to healing and peace in this writer's life is through verses 3, 4, and 5. Justice is important. And your heart longs for it. The injustice that's been perpetrated against you, the injustice you see around the world. Have we seen enough tragedies in the last couple weeks to remember that the world is not as it should be? And yes, Jesus will set it to rights. But what do we do in the meantime? We learn, especially the language of the Psalms, in asking that God give to them according to their work. Verse 4. Give to them according to the work of their hands. In the face of our enemies, in the face of injustice, we are looking for judgment. And that doesn't mean you don't have a role, by the way. Follower of Jesus, God has given you work to do, and you have a role, and that role includes peace and justice with the family that you have, in the places that you occupy, in the neighbors that you've been given, with the skills and affections and circumstances of your life. You have a role, and yet your role doesn't probably have the power to heal all the injustice that you see. And so in addition to engaging your role as a, as a seeker of peace and justice, we are to learn to pray. And th- what I love about the Psalms is the poets know, because in this case I believe the writer's talking about an illness, the p- poets know that illness is always a violation and that death is always a violation of the good. And we might want to talk about the th- whether that's theologically accurate some other time, but the poets don't care about that question as much as they care about expressing to God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. That's verses 3 and 4 and 5. And the psalmist doesn't presume to understand justice. They absolutely presume upon their relationship with God and assume that he cares. And so they express lament and complaint and request that justice be done. Have you ever been tired of people the way this psalmist was in verse 3? Who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts? You learned weeks and months later what they actually were doing while they were saying one thing to you. Doesn't that make you so uncomfortable? What do you do about it? Maybe something. Definitely we learn to pray about it. 
the poet is not presuming to understand justice and absolutely presuming that God cares. The poet is tired of the hypocrisy of the people around them. It seems unfair, but the poet doesn't say it's unfair. He speaks from his gut about what he thinks God should do, knowing that God will take that seriously. The with God life moves us from disorientation through judgment into refuge and life, into reorientation on God who has given you a new heart if you are a follower of Jesus and is increasingly healing you. Verses 8 and 9 move us into singing these things in community. And the reason I'm starting to talk about poets is that the goal is not only that we start to let the psalms pray us, which means opening a psalm and reading it as a prayer, not to study and learn something about the scripture that, in that particular moment that we didn't already know. I love pens. You guys all know that about me? Love them. This is a fountain pen. This is a Parker Jotter. And when I read the psalms, I set the pens down. And if you know me, you know if I don't have a fancy pin on me, it means I'm having a pretty rough week because I like to have one on me at all times because what if you said something really compelling? And when I read the Psalms, I set it down. Longing to learn poetry because everyone who has known love needs that language. We need the language of poetry to express our orientation in a good season, our disorientation when we're struggling internally or physically or with real enemies or with hopelessness or dread. And we especially need it when we're renewed into new life. The psalms of new life are the songs of the gospel, like Psalm 28. If you are a follower of Jesus, listen to these verses again. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. This is all true. If you have entrusted your heart and your decisions to Christ, you have received mercy, you trust in him, and your heart exults. If Christianity is checking the box, if you're worried about hell and that's all there is to your faith, then this language is odd because it is so very intimate. And I don't think your heart is yet at rest. So we could not pray with honesty, verses 6 and 7, as our own. But if you're a follower of Jesus, it is a description of what is purchased for us in his death and resurrection. And if you are here because you believe in the existence of God, but you are not yet a follower of Christ, embedded in this is the promise of the with God life. He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy, and we're confident in that. The Lord is my strength and my shield, and we can actually sense that. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song, I give thanks to him. 
So I hope that we all spend some time in the Psalms learning to pray this intimately and aggressively about life as we actually experience it, knowing that God loves us and likes us. Take seriously every good and every challenging and every very bad moment we have ever had. Knowing that learning to relate to him at this level gives our heart rest because he loves us and likes us. Because of the work of Christ, if we have trusted in him, then our sin is atoned for and we relate to him this presumptuously. Because that is what people who are intimate do with one another. And that is what created beings do with their creator because of his father heart, because of the Holy Spirit, because of the work of Christ. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise you that you created us, created the world and called it good. Yet we live in the presence of sin and death. Things are not as they're supposed to be. And our greatest desire is that you return and set things to rights, renew the earth. But if you are not going to do that today, please teach us to pray as you taught your psalmists to pray in full trust and reliance upon you. Not, presu not presuming to understand, but presuming that you care and that you hear and that you love us and like us and are ever healing us. Amen.